Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, episode 200. Still your source for everything about fingerprints while you're working on your comparisons. We'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. Well, Glenn, we made it to number 200. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. It is. It's great. We got some stuff to talk about today. We got an interview. But, uh, but first off, uh, there's no place like... Home. There's no place like the Double Loop Podcast. Oh, that's right. We have a new website. And we'll talk about more of that in a minute, but let me hear yours first. All right, so a leopard can't. Change his spots? No, a leopard can't contribute to the Double Podcast at patreon.com, but our listeners can. Absolutely, absolutely. And we, uh, we uh, are thankful to all of them, especially uh, some new ones we've had. Well, it's been a while since our last episode came out, but thank you to Mallory, to Don, Andrew, and Kim uh, we appreciate you guys and all of our other patr- patrons uh, that uh, help keep us going um, by contributing over at patreon.com slash double podcast. So yeah, we, we absolutely appreciate it. And uh, you know, we as, as podcasters, I never think of myself as a podcaster, but we as podcasters <laughs> need to be podcasting more. And Eric and I are working very hard on trying to find those times where we can podcast more and put together our resources so we can make this available for our listeners. 200 episodes, man. That's crazy. Man. And think back, you know, um, all starting in, uh, you know, with an offhand comment about, uh, a, you know, Game of Thrones at some restaurant back in Arizona. Yeah, some pizza ago. joint or something, right? And like, <laughs> Tucson or fell in Phoenix? I think it was in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, because I think it wasn't at the conference in Tucson. It was, I think it was after that, but uh, you were down for some other reason. Um, might have been that uh, teaching the judges and attorneys. Oh, thing. yeah, that might have been it. But in any case, man, it's been it's been one hell of a ride. You know, not that, geez, it sounds like we're ending it. No, um, <laughs> definitely not doing that. But uh, just thinking back to all the interviews, uh, you know, all the nights... Uh, uh, talking, laughing about uh, you know the topics that we've kind of covered, uh, slaving over a, a, a hot microphone, and then over a <laughs> uh, a, a you know editing uh, software uh, to get it up online. But um, you know, it's good times, and I, I think back back fondly at, at all these episodes. Yeah, I think the thing for me is just running into people that listen to the show that know more about me than I know about them and <laughs> know more about our lives. And, you know, I've, you know, I've obviously found a resource in the, the various episodes, but it's always great when I run into people and they go, oh, I, you know, I just started listening to the podcast and I'm going back, listening to some old ones, catching up on new ones. And it's always very flattering to know that people find this to be a resource. Oh, and, and I'm not kidding. I was... I was teaching a course in Southern California a couple weeks ago, yeah. and and I was in the parking lot. I, I had arrived just a couple minutes early, and I was I was listening to the end of a, a talk show, and the people pull up in their car next to me. They have the Double Loop podcast on. <laughs> That's those are suck ups for what those are. <laughs> That was—I mean—it was funny because they were listening to it on the way in, oh, and they just ha- and, and happened to pull in right next to me. I'm like, "Oh, I know that voice. That's my nasally drone. I must be going on about something." That's uh, that's awesome. And uh, here, the class I did recently in Idaho—just a like a sneak preview here—I I, uh, talked with some of the people in that class, uh, recorded some uh, some little back and forth. So 
Uh, we're a little backlogged right now, uh, trying to get some, find some time to, to get together, uh, to, to do some parts as well, but, uh, that should be out here the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm sure the people that are in Idaho have been wondering, wait a minute, <laughs> it's been, been like a month or so, what happened? But, uh, you know, we've got some stuff, uh, you know, ready to go. Uh, another paper that we discussed a little bit ago. Uh, but, uh, now that we're, Back on the same schedule, at least for a little bit, uh, we have time to, to sit down, uh, in our respective homes and, uh, and record some stuff. Um, so I guess for, first off, let, let's talk a little bit about, uh, the, the travel that we've been doing here recently. You've been to Europe twice in the past couple months since we last recorded? Yeah, you know, actually, come to think of it, that's true. I was in Switzerland for a couple of weeks teaching with Alice White. Many might, might know her as Alice Maceo as well. But we were teaching over there, and that went really well. I always have a great time teaching the Swiss police, and there are a few other countries that come over. You know, we do it for a week in French and a week in, in German, and that was, that was great. And had a chance to, of course, food and wine and travel, and it was great. And then I came back for, I think, a week or two, taught a couple courses here, and then went right back. Last week I was in England in a place called Sheffield. It's kind of in the middle of England. And uh, there's of, a... Uh, of Def Leppard, I want to say? Oh, you know, that's funny. I hadn't thought about that, but it's very possible, which would tie into my quote this week. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a, a deaf leopard can't change his spot. Oh, there you go. Yeah, uh, you might be right about that. Um, I'm not sure, but we should we should pretty definitely sure. look that up. Uh, yeah. I'm pre- I, I, someone can can write in if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure about that. One. Anyway, yeah, there's a university there, Sheffield, Sheffield Hallam University, and that's actually where Simona Francesa, she's the uh, the Italian professor who moved to England, who does the blood work with mass spectrometry there, she was hosting a conference called, well, this conference goes on every two years, but it's the International Fingerprint Research Group. The last time I attended was in China, and before that was, I think, India, and before that was Israel, and before that was Australia and Switzerland. It just It travels around the world every two years. And so this year was in England, and we were all gathering together to hear all the newest and latest research. And what's cool about that it's it's a small group about 40 people it's invitation only and everybody must present when they come so and must contribute and it's really encouraged not to present here's our research you can read about in these papers you're encouraged to present new research that's not published yet that you're basically showing for the first time getting some feedback from other you know researchers in the community, and then asking for ideas of where should we go next and what should we do and that sort of thing. So I, I always enjoy this conference, some of the best research around the world, and I saw a preview to some things that I'm so excited for to come out that I know will be coming out, like the palm print black box data. Yep. That, that study is incredible. Can't talk about it, of course, because we all agree that we won't, we really won't divulge and share that information without, you know, the without those presenters' permission. So can't talk too much about what I saw other than some really good stuff going on, and it's coming. It's coming. Uh, well, I, I think the the rest of the community here only has to wait another month or so before uh, Heidi presents you know, big chunk of that at the uh, the IAI conference in Reno. It's uh, yeah, coming up next exactly. month. Yeah, um, exactly. Yep. 
So, so I won't won't steal any of her thunder or any of uh, any uh, any of what they're going to be revealing. But if you are going to the Reno conference, do not miss Heidi's presentation on the palm print black box data. It's fantastic. Uh, it, it'll be wait. great. Can't wait. It, it's it's great to see you know an, yet another black box um, as yeah. well. Um, yeah, and, and a well needed topic too. This oh, area of palm palm prints is little underdeveloped and a little unknown so I, I think this is really good for for the community it's a it's an eye-opener oh absolutely and, and um, that's basically just ratcheting up the difficulty level on the searching component um, mm-hmm. I, I was a participant in that and uh, holy cow some I mean, some of them kind of just fell into place and you know, weren't that bad it was a mix like like you know every black box study really yeah, but uh, uh, I'll be interested in talking to you about that after Heidi presents. I assume we can do a little summary for for an episode. Maybe even get Heidi, you know, to come on. Oh, absolutely. The interviewer there for a few minutes at the II. But yeah, I'd like to talk to you because all the participants. This is the beauty of of working with Christoph and that group is we've always wanted to share our results with the users so that they can get feedback on their performance. Usually, the FBI studies they can't do that. Right. But so I assume you were able to even look at your results and, and such I, for you. I, unless I missed it, I don't think I've gotten that email yet. Um, oh, okay, it but, may be coming then. But I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it because I know that's that's part of it is being able to review your own uh, your own results. Um, but so just not knowing, just thinking back to doing it. I, I, yeah. After you know a couple days um, dedicated to it, because there are a lot, quite a few samples in it. Boy, yeah. you get tired of palms when, <laughs> when oh, that's yeah. all you're looking at. But yeah. um, man, well, maybe we can we can talk about it after you have a chance, or yeah. even reveal them on the episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh boy, <laughs> opening the envelope. Uh, <laughs> and Eric, oh, it turns out you suck at palms. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, but you'll I mean, you'll get a chance because when you when you look at your results, you can also compare them to other participants. Right. You can kind of see where you fall and all that. Right. It, really good feedback tool. Oh yeah, and you know, oh oh, hey, look, you were the only one that called this an ID. <laughs> <laughs> You know that's going to happen. I mean, that, that's not even that's not that won't even be a surprise for there, us. There, there were at least two that. I mean, they were a little tough and a little slim on the ID, but it was the finding it part that I all of a sudden was just like, holy crap, I found it. I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. to find it. And mm-hmm. now, now there's enough. But So, uh, yeah, I'll definitely be interested to see how many other people found some of those just monsters hey, to find. All right. So I know we're taking a, a, a little deviation here, but we've never actually talked about that. Do you think that the finding of, that – Almost the endorphin release of surprise of actually finding correspondence where you think you found it. Do you think sometimes that that adds a little bit of push towards motivating to identifying it? I mean, on, on some level, so I've looked so hard for this, I actually found it. It would be a shame not to call it on some subconscious level. Hmm. Do you think that the finding of it actually in itself is a little bit of bias and a push towards, oh, and now I must be able to identify this? What well, do you think? Yeah, I think there that may be an aspect of it um, that would have to relate, obviously, to how hard you had to look, right? Like, because like if you if you found it just after looking for fifteen seconds, then it, it's not as much of an endorphin rush of finally finding it. But if you've been looking for hours and hours, yeah, um, good point. And then and then you come across it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, because then along the way. 
I mean, how many times do you think you found it along the way? You get the little mini, and then, oh, whoops, never mind. Yeah. It fell apart. Yeah. I do hate that. I do hate that. <laughs> I I just was I was just using case aphis on a really difficult palm print and we didn't find a correspondence. Um but it was it actually had a, a higher score than I had seen before. And so then I started thinking, well, it's got to be here somewhere. And then I kept looking and looking and finding these little things and thinking, "Oh, there it is." No, no, there it isn't. <laughs> but I hadn't actually looked that hard for a palm print in a long time because I used, you know, these little K-Safest systems to assist in the, the searching, but I, I I had forgotten what that feeling of, oh, there, oh, no, it's not. That what I had forgotten what that's like. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Well, uh, for me, um, I like I said, I was in Idaho doing uh, exclusionology. Uh, but Almost I was also as good down. as Switzerland. Practically the same thing. <laughs> A few, you know what? Okay. All right, um, they both have mountains. The well, you I definitely see the mountains. Yeah, it's it's uh where it was the Boise area, um, you know, fairly flat with kind of mountains all around. Um, but I was um, uh, actually got invited to go just for the day to to uh, give a short talk at the in service that Oregon State Police was doing. So flew into uh, Portland, met up with them because a lot of people were in traveling in from out of town to Portland from all the regional labs. Um, met up with the, the group, the out-of-towners, um, at a, a local German restaurant um, mm. in in Portland, and looking through there. what uh, what beers they had. And oh, holy moly, look at this! It's the Hocker Score uh, Munich Dark, and I was like, yeah. oh, it, so this is a beer that uh, that Glenn introduced me to at the Gasthof in uh, in St. Paul, no Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Minneapolis. And um, was blown away. A really good uh, beer, one of my favorites. It's and so malty and delicious. It, I can't find it anywhere else except now at these two <laughs> German restaurants, one in Minneapolis and one in Portland, or Clackamas, I guess technically. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great place. I love that place too. That and really good authentic German food. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I love that German potato salad. It's it's. My favorite, the the vinegary bacon with the bacon it's, in it, love it. Um, so down in uh, another you know nice little kind of uh, food heaven, different kind of food, but got some uh, authentic Cubano uh, food down in the Miami area and uh, in Hollywood. I guess technically uh, did exclusionology there, but also the uh, gyro and Photoshop class, and I'm definitely looking forward to doing the workshop version of that at the conference so if you're um if you are interested in all in it i think there's still a few seats left uh at the uh, the conference here in reno for it but one of the most interesting things about uh about that that i wanted to share with you is this feedback loop where after doing you know a series of comparisons you know having uh, of you know usually on the difficult side so you get a, a nice variety of green yellow and and uh and red giving back feedback back to examiners saying, okay, in general, you marked, um, you know, green, this many green, yellow, and red, and then you deleted this percentage of the green, yellows, and reds. So, you know, sometimes it's like for the the yellows and the greens, there's like not, some people have like not very much difference between them of how many they, they deleted. So then it was kind of feedback saying, all right, well, Instead of marking as many yellows, mark more of those yellows as greens. Just kind of feedback to say, 
you know, that, that you're, a lot of your yellows are, are really high confidence anyway. Or, you know, sometimes it's, it was the other way around, but everyone kind of getting their own personal feedback of how they're using gyro. Because I think that's one part that's missing is try, in trying to get everyone to mean the same thing with these colors. So, anyway, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about it since, uh, since doing the class uh, back in April. But uh, I'm going to be doing it, like I said, at the conference, and uh, I wanted to share that little piece uh, today. Yeah. I mean, th- yeah, what you're describing is, is exactly one of the difficulties of gyro is trying to figure out exactly when to use a certain color and how to get that ca- how to calibrate the, the use of the colors, which well, you know, is going to vary from person to person in a little bit, and it would be nice to get us more on the same page. But I realize that that um, – I. I appreciate what you're saying, but I also realize that it, and as I'm sure you do, it's impossible to get us all on the same page. Oh, absolutely. Uh, unless we use some kind of technology like quality maps or some kind of technology to say, in this area, you can't use green. It's just, it's too distorted, you know, based on this metric of quality. So you can't use green in this area. You can only use yellow or red. And in this area, you can only use red or this area you can't go into i mean i really do feel that the the best way to calibrate us eventually will be to use technology right and uh, i think um you know maybe a step in that direction is where examiners kind of get a feel for how often am i actually Mm -hmm. using these different colors or deleting these colors how often am i wrong yeah when i use the different colors yeah uh, agreed as a as a baby step in that direction but um all right, well, let's talk about the um, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, at DoubleLoopPod, uh, and DoubleLoopPodcast.com. Um, so if you haven't already seen or heard, uh, we've got a, a web page up and running, and that's a, a big thank you to Michael White uh, from Down Under um, in Australia and the work he did setting it up. Glenn and I are just blown away at how amazing it looks. And, um, you yeah, know, and I, I don't... I've used it a couple of times already yeah. too. I've been I've been looking for some past episodes, trying to figure out where they are, and they've been sorted into different categories like interviews and research studies, etc. And then you know I'll go there and I'll look for a particular episode. They're all all the links are there with all the you know, images and you know, little uh, summaries of the different episodes, and it's just a nice resource and has links to other things as well that we've talked about. And I I just I am so happy and pleased about it, and cannot <laughs> cannot thank Michael enough for his time on that. Uh, and it's you know we got even bigger plans. You know the the right now there's you know, kind of some basic information for each episode, but you know we're working uh, to get like better keywords uh, plugged in so that um, you know even just from those basic categories you, know, you can kind of narrow down exactly what you're looking for and uh, and find that as well. So. And, right, uh, and and we've got Gibby and anyone else who'd like to help yeah. indexing those. If if someone listens to an old episode and they want to go, all right, at minute twenty was when the interview started. At minute forty one was when they discussed this paper. You know, little things like that. Those are always helpful for listeners, so that when they're looking for something very specific, they don't have to listen to us drone on about the newest Star Wars movie or <laughs> our silly quotes or our stories or a travel log or any of that stuff. Well, we, they we, can we, just we may need those cataloged as well and, and indexed <laughs> when you want to listen for that. Um, especially if you're new to the, to the W podcast, uh, we could definitely use help 
as you go back and listen to older episodes, and we can get you even help with the access to the, even the archived ones you know, to go back and, and do that. If, if, if you happen to be listening for the first time through a bunch of episodes, uh, then, yeah, definitely help us out and all of our other listeners uh, to have that kind of index running as to when different topics come up um, yeah. so that other uh, listeners can find it pretty easily. Yeah, especially if you have a predilection towards being anal retentive and you like to take lots of notes and you <laughs> enjoy ordering things and putting things in chronological order. If you're that kind of person, reach out to us. You know who you are. Yeah, yeah you know who I'm talking to. Uh. <laughs> All right. Um, should we move into the interview now? Oh, for sure. All right. So, so without further ado, uh, one of our most technically challenging uh, interviews <laughs> that we've done to date, uh, uh, Glenn and Eric talked to uh, Michael White uh, from, uh, from Australia. All right, Glenn. Uh, we are very lucky to be joined by a special guest on the most technically challenging episode we ever recorded and episode 200 of the double loop podcast uh, we have a guest uh, mr michael white joining us all the way from australia and i want to point out to listeners how challenging this has been i am currently in idaho eight hours behind glenn langenberg who is in switzerland who is eight hours behind our guest michael white in sydney which means we have, the three of us, evenly divided the planet into thirds Perfect. for this special episode of the Double Loop Podcast, episode 200. Uh, so how is that, Glenn? Well, uh, I'm, I think I got the short end of the stick here. I got the 6 a.m. draw, and I'm not a morning person, so I'm a little groggy. And yeah, that probably sounds like a little bit of uh, morning in my voice, so I will... Not be my usual sharp, witty self, and I might fall asleep here. But all is good. Right. Uh, so, a big welcome to Michael White. Michael, welcome to the Double It Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, uh, we've mentioned Michael's name a few times here in recent episodes. It's because you've joined our our little unofficial Double It Podcast team as our official web guru. Yeah, I saw I saw you um you put the call out for um some people that had expertise in website design and that's like a little side hustle for me and I figured a great way to um to reach out and help you know at least bridge the gap across the pond with uh, the US and Australia a good way to share information yeah. and also be a, be a part with you guys and 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 what you're doing for the uh, for the science of fingerprints I absolutely love this podcast listen to it regularly. And um, just wanted to be a part of it. Well, thank you so much because um, for your listeners out there, you can now go to uh, the uh, double loop, doubleloopodcast.com and see the amazing work that Michael's put into it. Uh, there's some fantastic um, information, all the information about episodes. We're going to be continually adding to it and making it better. But this will be a one-stop shop for uh, Double Loop Podcast stuff. What, what did you think, Glenn, of the website? I, I I thought it was amazing, Michael. You are a genius when it comes to this stuff, and we really do appreciate those those comments. It's so wonderful having people around the world listening to the podcast. It you know Eric and I have talked about it. It's just two schleppy guys that like talking about fingerprints, and we're very surprised that uh, so many people. Uh, enjoy the podcast, enjoy the interviews, and really thank you. We we um, 
we couldn't be happier with with what you so kindly have donated your time towards. Oh, it's no problem at all. And it's, um, you know, being so far away from, from everybody else and the fact that we don't often get to attend a lot of conferences half the time and, and networking, um, it's often in my role now in the training section, I often direct students and to actually refer to a lot of episodes to, to help them with certain topics or to certain um, phases of their training. I'll be like, go to episode 35 to understand important articles to know for court. Here's some podcasts on the white box study, black box study. They, the guys do a great summary and synopsis. So, and the excellent feedback from, from the whole office. Oh, Wow, that's and where uh, do you want to tell the listeners where you work and a little bit about about that? Sure, I'm a civilian crime scene officer, a fingerprint expert since 2015. Um, I've been I started in 2007, I'm going to say, um, but uh, but yeah, been working fingerprints ever since. Um, I work out of Sydney at police headquarters yeah, at Fingerprint Operations, and uh, I now am one of the training instructors for Fingerprint Operations. And so not only do I do tra- run training for our 70-plus staff in our office, but also across the, uh, the state of New South Wales as well. Start off, as we do with almost every interview that we do, uh, how long have you been doing this whole latent print thing and then... Standard question, uh, how did you trip and fall into latent prints? Was it something you sought out or was it something that found you? Uh, My story in getting interested in forensics started back when I was, what, 14, 12? I grew up in a very, very small country town um, on the border of New South Wales and Victoria in Australia. And I was obsessed to become a fighter pilot. Wanted to join the Air Force, wanted to fly planes. And um, that's what I wanted to do. Um, However, I am completely deaf in my left ear and I'm also a chronic asthmatic. And to pass the medical into the Air Force, you have zero chance with my disabilities. So um, after being a little bit depressed by that setback, I was sort of homesick from school and was on the Discovery Channel and came across medical detectives on the Discovery Channel. And I was hooked from the first episode. And for the rest of my secondary education, I did everything I could to steer myself towards um, forensic science and got into university, graduated after three years of study and got a job in 2007 with the New South Wales Police as a scene of crime officer, which basically we um, you just go into volume level um, crimes like breaking in and stolen cars and just basic level of processing there at scenes. Um, I got a bit tired of that very quickly and wanted more and I was <laughs> successful in getting a, um, a promotion to the fingerprint operations, major crime section or fingerprint operations with the New South Wales Police, where I started my training as a fingerprint technician in 2009. And now coming 2009 now, being, being a fingerprint um, examiner for the last 10 years and being an expert since July of 2015. And that's, that's a brief little summary of how I got here. So when you were moving out of scenic crime uh, work into more uh, lab work, was, was latent the, kind of the goal or, or uh, did you have your eye on DNA or toxicology or anything else? Or was that just latent just the easiest way to get out of scene of crime work? Yeah, the real sciences. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I wanted to, I wanted to get into the um, to examine the the serious crime scenes. Like my my uh, interest was my passion has always been like crime scene examination, and this was my easiest way of of getting into that realm or that line of work. And I quickly um, quickly fell in love with fingerprints, just with the the scientific theory around everything, and then in terms of how you do comparisons and just how strong the science is compared to a lot of the others, and um, and just the environment. Like the we've got one of the best training facilities in the world, in my opinion, and. Um, and now in my current role, I actually am one of the facilitators of training courses around not only in our office, but the entire state. And, um, yeah, it's just, I absolutely love it. It's great. Best job. Now we've, we've talked to other Australian uh, examiners before, uh, I believe uh, seems to be fam- a familiar topic, yeah. uh, talking a bit about the, the Australian, um, training program for latent prints. And I'm not sure if anyone out there listening picked up on this, but uh, you were saying you you started in around 2010 and finished in 2015. That's correct. Yeah, we have. It takes about approximately five years to reach your expertise in fingerprints when Ooh. you start with um, in our latent section. That is, and uh, does, that also involves some coursework and papers and other things too. I mean, some academic aspects, right? Uh, it, we basically, I can walk you through basically the five years worth, but it's essentially, you have a a seven week face-to-face course with, um, with numerous instructors from our office, um, me being one of them. And then you do about a six to 12 month rotation into the 10 print section. And then after that, you will do maybe about a year and a half in the latent section. And then just to, so you don't get um, too bored looking at a computer, we then rotate you out to the laboratory into crime scene examination, where you'll do about a year's worth of, um, of exhibit work and also scene work. And then you will come back for your final year and a half, two years um, of where we really, you fine tune your latent comparison skills. You do a rotation through the major crime analysis unit, and then you're ready to sit your um, expert exams. Hmm. I had heard some Australian examiners talk about some of their projects that they had to do. So maybe that was um, when they were in conjunction with like a master's program or something. Yeah, that's correct. We have um, we have other like qualifications they need to obtain in order to reach their expertise, like a graduate certificate, so just slightly higher than a degree, in which they do that facilitate that through um, either the Canberra Institute of Technology or the Griffith University up in Queensland. And so part of their um, part of the curriculum there is a major a major project. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's where I've seen some really interesting little research projects come out. And what I like about that is it gives an opportunity for the junior examiner to uh, find a project, get involved, do a little bit of junior research, and in some cases actually develop a really cool little research project. Well, I guess that begs the question of what uh, what was your research project on, Michael? Oh, my research project was done a long, a long time <laughs> ago. Um, mine was actually looking about as to whether or not there was any distortion of latent prints on compact discs when put into a CD drive and it was spinning, whether or not there were, the effect of the centripetal acceleration on a seat like in the disc drive would it have any warping or distorting effects on a latent print that was left on a CD? Huh. 
wow, that's that's really cool. Never, I never thought about that. I mean, I would have, I would have guessed given the viscosity or non-viscosity of the residue. No, but what did you find? Uh, It didn't distort. So, and it was probably not enough to do a research project. So, I looked um, at the development methods you can then use on compact discs and whether or not that would affect data recovery. So, um, so I then looked at does powder affect the um, well in terms of you can develop a print and can you record it like photograph it and then if you were to clean the disc and put it back in the disc drive would it affect it so uh, you looked at the uh, white and black powder magnetic powder fluorescent powder super glue fuming photoluminescent staining and um, the staining did affect it um, but you could still use super glue fuming and uh, use uh, absolute ethanol to wipe off the print and it still works just fine. I, I did wow. learn from my, my little yeah. brother a few years back, and he listens to the podcast, so he'll enjoy this little story. Uh, he had a CD that he really loved and used it a lot, and it, but it was getting a little dirty. And working at the metal shop that he's at, he decided to clean that disc with acetone. And that was perhaps too effective and cleaned the music right off of the CD. So um, good to know that absolute ethanol will do the trick and still leave the data there um for anyone out there that's looking to clean the cd do not use acetone yeah i would imagine acetone would melt some of the plastic a little, a little bit, bit. <laughs> correct uh, I, so michael i'm i'm curious how did you get into website creation how did that factor into your career and and have you used those skills you know for your your current job and employer um, so me, I've always been a bit of a techie, um, and I sort of self-teach myself in a lot of technical related, um, sort of areas. So, um, website design is actually like a form of secondary employment that I currently do. I sort of design websites for a number of other businesses. And, and when I was, um, come through my studies of, or, and becoming an expert, I got very frustrated by the fact that it was so hard to try and track down information and have it all in one site. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to make a website because I can't be the only one that's facing this difficulty and hopefully many more can benefit from it. And that's what started the In The Loop website um, back in 2014, I think. And um, I've just been compiling oh, and, and, articles. And our- Sorry. Uh, and our new website will also have a link to your, your site as, as well. So people who want to go diving for information can go deep down the rabbit hole through our site into your site and, and continue looking for fingerprint-related information, right? That's correct. Yeah, I think we'll put a link up on, um, up on the menu there, like friends of the double loop or partners or other links, and we can um, definitely put my site up there. The, the 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 kinds of websites that you do are, are they they um are they are for businesses as well I mean actual like um Fortune five hundred companies or uh, small businesses how you know how did you fall down that path hmm. uh, it just small businesses like I run the website for my mother's foundation that she runs um, also one of my friends he's a, a small boutique winery so I run his uh, boutique winery website for him so I just tend to stick to small businesses because um, it's not my primary I like I don't have any official qualification <laughs> right. in website design so I just stick to the very simple 
really basic WordPress websites. And um, yeah, it's it's like really straightforward and uh, and simple. And I think give me give me two weeks, and I can definitely teach you guys, and you'll be savvy um, savvy developers, savvy website developers in no time. Well, then you must be a good instructor because I think uh, <laughs> I I would struggle with that one a little bit. I'm not I'm not a really techie kind of person. Uh, yeah, I, I I walked Glenn through some of the basics of uh, of WordPress when I helped him set up his Elite Forensic Services website. And uh, well, I, I never actually followed up with you on that, Glenn. Do, do you still do a little updates time from time to time, or do you basically just leave it as it is? Yeah. No, no. From time to time, I'll add some links or things, but I find that I'm just copying and pasting old stuff. Like I'm not sure I know how to create right. new stuff right. for it. Uh, that's that is a general rule of 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 just duplicating something that already exists is much easier than than uh, than, than starting from scratch on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well, uh, Michael, uh, one of the things I, I wanted to to ask you about uh, you know, while you're on the show here uh, is just the the general state of things in the latent print field in Australia, um, the challenges you guys are facing. Uh, or successes that you, you guys have had in in handling different issues as they've come up. Um, uh, just to to you know basically share with the the rest of the world, uh, whether that be North America or, or our listeners in Europe or other parts of the world, um, you know where where you see things standing in the discipline in Australia at the at the current day. Yeah, sure. Like we're actually, it's um, we're actually doing really, really well down here um, in down in especially in New South Wales. I can't speak for the for the other states um, on the west coast and that, but um, definitely on the east coast, um, the health of fingerprints is definitely alive and well. And we're we're kicking a lot of goals here in New South Wales just in terms of our um, our turnaround times of how with our analysis work um like at the moment our our turnaround times are 24 hours for volume crime scenes and 48 hours for major major crime scenes such as murders sexual assault shootings so and that's from the the new the fingerprints arriving in our office by a um through our image server repository and basically identifications going out to the investigators for for serious crime and there's been a huge flow-on effect for reduction in crime, just in terms, just because of you know, catching those criminals before they reoffend for that second or third. And so, um, so it's great. Like we have in our office close to 600 on average jobs a month, like fingerprint analysis jobs. And so that's about what's that? Just over seven thousand for the year. And out of that, we get oh. Actually, no, that's identifications. We get about 7,000 identifications and about um, about 10,000 analysis jobs a year, actually. Wow. Yeah. That, that is an incredible operation. And that, that kind of turnaround time. I mean, I know that there are agencies in the U.S. that are so resistant to going to a digital workflow. But when I was in Australia 10 years ago, I saw how the AFP, the Australian Federal Police, were doing a full digital workflow. And I thought... This is actually really incredible. And it sounds like just it, it's taken off like gangbusters and you guys are able to really efficiently work through a, a really large volume of cases. Yeah, that's correct. Like um, I can do like the cradle to grave 
type of um, process of how we do things. So um, so the crime scene examiner would go out to the crime scene, photograph the fingerprints. So we don't lift it all. If we need to lift a fingerprint just because we have troubles photographing it, we then take a photograph of that lift and then discard the lift. So we're completely digital with our fingerprint recovery. We then upload these images. Hey, can, can, sorry, can, yep. I, so you have probably discovered something that I think some savvy people learned a long time ago is that it's all, a photograph of a latent print is almost always going to be better than a lift. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's something that, I, again, listeners may be surprised to hear because they're so focused on the, the tape lift that they have to work off of. But I, those, those of them know, know that uh, a photograph will almost always have a little more detail than the lift will. Yeah, most definitely. Like within one of the things I specialize in is advanced photography and also advanced um, exhibit processing and chemical targeting. So we do a lot in terms of how to basically push our cameras to the to the furthest we can in terms of being able to do really good absorption mode photographs, really good photoluminescence photographs, either on the tripod or handheld. We train all our staff to be able to take very highly technical photos and the level of detail we can get from even like very, very faint fingerprints just by adjusting something, a little setting in the camera, like putting it into monochrome, we can just get, just be able to obtain so much more data from the fingerprint. Wow, that is incredible. I, I, I would, I actually myself would love to go through that kind of training program. Well, it's one of those things I've constant, like I'm, I've sort of, I'm, thinking about dipping my toes in in terms of running a workshop at maybe at the um, at the IAI one year, just in terms of advanced photography or chemical targeting, that may be, be a little bit hard just in terms of bringing chemicals to a, a conference area. But uh, definitely photography could be something in which um, that's something we do very well here. Um, I don't take credit for it. Actually, one of our best exports, he's yeah. now works over there, Tim Fail up at San Jose and Stephen, oh, yeah. Bro- Stephen Brock, they, those two gents up there, they taught me everything I know. So in terms of photography, especially Tim, he is a whiz. So we're just continuing um, their um, their work. And yeah, it's something that we can, um, I don't know, we maybe even I can collaborate with Tim and Steve and we could run a workshop together at one of the IAIs. That would be my suggestion is just have someone in the US bring the chemicals and that, that sort of thing for you. And uh, yeah, you just bring yourself and your expertise. Yeah, the the uh, you know, even two separate workshops, one on the photography and one on the the chemical processing, and that's something that the IAI has done many times before. So they they have the the experience and the know how of how to deal with all the chemicals in a conference yeah. setting, dispose of them afterwards, and you know all the safety stuff, and it's something that they've done, definitely done before. So um, you yeah, don't let that but, stand in the way of a good class. Yeah, this is something I'd, I'd like to. I'm, I'm not not trying to diminish some of the U.S. capabilities here, but having had the opportunity to work in Europe a little bit here and study here and see, you know, work product from around the world, you know, the things you are describing, you know, that the Canadians do, that the Australians do, that the Europeans do, when it comes to photography, this is not just something they picked up and played around with. You guys have really honed in on the theory and uh, have obviously do a great job with it. So I think Americans could really benefit from getting exposed to those more advanced techniques. Yeah, most definitely. So I interrupted you before you said that the next step is to then upload the images from the scene of crime. 
That's correct, yeah. So we upload it to an image server, image repository, which then automatically exports the fingerprint images to our network drive um, that we can access in our office. And, yeah, we just start the analysis of the um, of the latent works, whether or not we uh, – if there's a suspect, we'll just um, start the comparison straight away. But if, um, you know, if, we, if there's no um, – any identifications from that, we then will then launch it against our national fingerprint database. With the, the everything being digital, if a result does come back with a hit, then you can then send that report digitally, basically back to the officers at the scene uh, before they even leave. Sometimes, right? Yeah, we're, we're working on that type of. I'm that's a little side project I'm working on at the moment. Um, I'm actually hoping in the future or in the short future we'll have um, the ability to transmit the images from the camera to a tablet that's in the scene, which then automatically transfers to the network drive on the secure police network, which can then be worked on in real time. So I may be writing my notes and I'm getting, and an email's popping up saying, You've, there's been an identification on that bloody bloody uh, fingerprint that's on the, 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 the inside of the door. Wow. That's, that's really cool. <laughs> uh, although I, I, I am confused, if you don't have a lift card, Wherever do you write your conclusions? Well, you, you have to have something to write your conclusions on. Yes. Yeah. You're a funny guy. Um, that's, now I'm going to bring up the, uh, the if you do take a lift, um, Michael, uh, on those rare occasions, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's usually in those cases uh, black powder that you then put on a white card. Is that right? <laughs> oh, it depends. Like some of the times, um, or the most often reasons we would take a lift is if you've got a fingerprint on the mirror and trying to photograph a, a white fingerprint on a mirror is very hard because you've got that reflection. We call it ghosting. And and we would take a lift of that if the mirroring effect was too hard. And then we would just photograph that white print against the black background um, and then just dispose of the lift afterwards. Right. So I think Eric is getting that. What color is your lift card? Is it oh, dark? Okay. Is it white? Or is it clear? I think we've got all three kinds. Uh, this is a, this is an old reference to to uh, listeners going way back to when I would occasionally make make fun, make you know, in a playful way, not a not a mean way, of the Minnesota standard method of every lift being white powder on clear cards and how difficult that is to work with. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> wow. And Glenn, Glenn has come around to, uh, to see the, uh, uh, to see the light on this one, um, on occasion uh, by this time. So, um, anyway, uh, enough, enough, uh, making fun of the entire state of Minnesota, um, uh, and moving, moving well on. Well deserved. <laughs> That's that's a fan. you know a lot of agencies in in the states you know that they, they may be behind and have a backlog but if they work hard you know they can get that backlog down to the point where you know, a lot of agencies are happy if uh, the the general burglaries are completed in thirty days and. You're saying that just a standard burglary case for you guys is completed in 24 hours. 
Yeah, depending on how many fingerprints we're comparing, uh, comparing, but right. if it's only like say four fingerprints, we could have it done within two hours or an hour. It all depends on how fast the um, how fast the processing speed of the national database is at that particular time, right. um, or whether or not we've got suspects. Uh, that's just incredible. So what level of documentation do you guys have, Michael, in your cases? Because, you know, obviously in the states with the challenges that we have, documentation becomes critical because it's where all of our legal challenges are. So what sorts of things do you document during your analysis? Do you use any kind of system like a gyro? Um, what Do you have like a notes form? What, what do you guys do? Sure. So for every job that we work on, we have a, a printed out, a hard copy job card, which has like information about the um, where the fingerprints were located in the scene, uh, the case details, if there's any suspects present. And um, we will record um, any identifications we do manually using our forensic comparison software. Or, and then just say if, we're, if there's no suspects, uh, we will, how we search it on our AFIS system we would then um, record sort of what our searching criteria was and whether or not there was any result in terms of our inquiry. Uh, in terms of um, documenting our fingerprints, we use um, forensic comparison software. Um, yeah. And that's, that's been great. That we've had, that's been one of the main reasons as to why we've managed to smash our backlog so much using that software. And um, and we we don't do any bench notes because we've got our, our gyro um, markups that we do, and we save our work make comparisons for for every comparison um, up until when they um, or for volume crime up until when the results are issued. Then we no longer keep those work make comparisons. But for major crime scenes or major crimes, we we retain those uh, work make comparisons. And so that's a little shout out to John Maloney and his software. I've had a chance to use it before. And like you said, it's a full documentation system as well. And I think John's even included gyro in into that system as well, if I recall. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the latest version, 5.5, that has um, the gyro and it even has the ability to do APHIS, creating your own little mini databases and doing APHIS searches as well. Wow. Yes, and uh, that's something that uh, the case safest approach, which you know, I, I think is a very valuable approach in cases. It's fantastic to have all those resources. Yeah, uh, most definitely. It was something when when I um, was training over in Vietnam recently. It was something that the Vietnamese absolutely loved as well. So, well, that that leads into then that question of some of the training you've been doing recently, uh, you know, just over emails, we've talked a little bit about that, you know, talk to us a little bit about going to Vietnam and what that experience was like uh, training in Southeast Asia and, and what it was like training people, you know, speaking a completely different language in latent prints and, and how how that universal language of latent prints, you know, connects latent print examiners all over the world. Yeah, sure. So Vietnam was, it was fantastic. We had a lot of fun. Like John Maloney was with us. Plus I had uh, three, um, one senior sergeant and, uh, and three other sergeants with me. Uh, three of those sergeants were fingerprint experts. Plus we had a, a detective sergeant from another command who was, he's a, he's, uh, he was born Vietnamese. So he was like our interpreter, um, and it was great. Like um, they use ACEV over there. Um, I introduced gyro to them. Um, so they, they were very accepting of that and appreciated that. 
Um, they have an eight-point standard over there in terms of reaching an identification. So I that was a bit um, that was a bit of an eye opener. So I um, I left some reading material for them just to you know just because they asked what we have a no fixed number approach here in Australia, and I sort of gave them some literature and gave them some explanations like quoting Cedric Newman's 2012 study just in terms of you know these are the reasons as to why we don't use a no fixed number approach and just left that with them to they can discuss yeah. it and as a as a you know, together as a forensic community with within Vietnam, they can make the um, the step if they wish to um, move to a no fixed number right. approach. Okay. Yeah, but um, they, they were really keen, very thirsty for education, um, and it was it was great. It was a great week of training with them, and um, we've got about another six or seven other countries as a result of this training that also want the same training as well. So I've got a bit of travelling over the next couple of years scheduled. That is really fantastic and uh, very different when Americans talk about doing a tour in Nam. <laughs> yes, yes, a little, a little different than, than Sylvester Stallone's time there. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, so th was this your first foray into international training? Yes, yeah, my first um, my first stab at it, and uh, it's great. Like it's I went over there and taught them some basic light theory. Um, I, they hadn't used fluorescent fingerprint powder before. They hadn't used UV. I, I just I gifted them a um, a UV torch and some yellow goggles just to just to show how um, how you can use an excitation wavelength in order to make fingerprints fluoresce. Um, and then just even help them just with their basic photography sort of means. So they um, they had a lot of trouble actually uh, recording and or developing and recording fingerprints. So uh, for a population of 90 million, 63 provinces, um, on average, most of the major cities only get about two and a half thousand fingerprint cases a year. So oh, wow. as part of my training that I want to follow up with is teaching um the educators over there on how to educate their students on better techniques on how to locate, develop, and record fingerprints. Yeah, that's incredible. For 90 million people, I would not have guessed that the population was so high on really, frankly, such a tiny little bit of land. That's incredible. Yeah, definitely. And and hopefully, you know, hopefully there's huge flow-on effects from from if they can get a lot out of this training and then educate the next um, line of examiners coming through. And with the forensic comparison software now at their fingertips, hopefully, you know, hopefully there's a huge reduction in crime over there. So is it fair to say that you have the teaching bug now and that you want to branch out elsewhere and, and maybe try some other countries and other, other gigs? Most definitely, like teaching is. I've moved into t into the teaching section now for the last sort of six to eight months, and it's definitely a nice fit for me. Um, my mum's uh, like a, a social worker counsellor, and I've very much got the her gift of the gab. I can talk a lot, and and I have no problems getting up and and telling a heap of people what to do. So, <laughs> but um, that. 
<laughs> but uh, I love it now. It's great. And I've got a great um, colleague I work with, Andrew. Um, he's with me at the moment as we're doing this training at, um, currently at the moment because you said in the introduction I was in Sydney, but believe it or not, I'm one hour south of the Queensland border running our, our black box study at the moment um, with some fingerprint examiners up here. And, um, and it's great being able to go around the state, travel not just our state but also the world and just educate getting people excited about fingerprints, getting them excited about, you know, other aspects like, you know, the light theory, the photography, the other side of the of the uh, the equation, but also to just honing down on a lot of the, um, the studies that have come out recently and about how to use them in court effectively just to make us brilliant expert witnesses. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the black box study that you guys are, are working on? Yeah, most definitely. So, um Andrew and um, one of my a colleague that used to work with is Adam Brown. Um, they sort of decided to start a, a black box study, just looking at Australian examiners and just working out, a, like seeing if it's possible to uh, work calculate a, a potential error rate for Australian examiners. So we, um, Andrew, put together this um, this study looking at. Um, ground truth samples and well essentially what it is we've got 40 ground truth samples where we provide the candidates with 10 close non-matches or close matches from the APHIS from our APHIS system we then insert on a particular one the actual ground truth sample into the one of the candidate lists for one of those samples um, for over that 40, and they have two days to complete um, the full analysis of those 40 latents, reaching either identification, inconclusive, or excluded. And they need to provide a, um, an answer for every single um, fingerprint they look at. So for every ground truth latent, they'll have 10 candidates to compare, and they need to make a decision against each of those 10 candidates. Yeah, no, they would send that um, instruction sheet that they, or it's like um, information about the the study before they before they begin. So, and everybody's very much aware of that. So, all right. So, Michael, uh, turning our, our focus back to Australia, um, occasionally we see stories, you know, over the internet or just through you know people we know uh, about different uh, defense challenges uh, in Australian courts. So, I'm just kind of curious on on how you know, how uh, latent print testimony has been going in the courts in, in uh, Australia, uh, whether, you know, in New South Wales or, or you know, uh, nationwide. Uh, and um, if any of these strategies that defense has had recently has had any success or if you guys have managed to, to fight them all off successfully. Yeah, we've been very lucky. We don't get many challenges to evidence. Um, our training and sort of our level of testimony that we provide in courts, usually um, usually we don't get many challenges. Um, there's been one significant challenge that's been put forward to fingerprints in New South Wales, and that was back in 2015. And that was um, it was just a local court matter to do with a, um, a young person um, who whose fingerprint was identified from a break in enter. But um, the defence... Um, Barrister was actually using the um, the Gary Edmonds study on how to cross examine a forensic yes. scientist article that I sent back a few a little while ago. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, so a lot of um, yeah, a lot of questions were actually sort of related to that article. So we had um, challenges in relation to 
how we the expresses of opinion, sufficiency, um, being able to explain differences in the the fingerprint due to like the elasticity of the skin. So whether or not a bifurcation actually looks like a, or a ridge ending looks like a bifurcation just because of the pressure. Our expert code of conduct, uniqueness, error rates, all of these were um, were covered in a two day basically uh, challenge to fingerprint evidence. But then everything passed with the flying colors? Yeah, everything did. Um, the Some of the answers given by the expert um, sort of sort of erred on sort of language we don't use anymore in terms of like 100% accuracy and just that's probably the main thing, sort of trying not to overstate our opinions. They were sort of like the main the main crux of the um, the outcome of the case. But no, the fingerprints stood strong, um, and the the evidence got accepted, and the um, and yes, and there was a conviction as a result of the evidence. All right. Well, I guess that uh, well, no, definitely good to hear. Um, like like you said, I do remember you bringing up. Uh, some of these challenges uh, before in previous discussions. So, all right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for, for joining us. And, and again, thank you so much for joining our, our little inner circle of the double loop podcast by, uh, you know, you know, donating your, your time and expertise in setting up this website. Uh, I, I think listeners out there will, will definitely enjoy all the information that's there and, and uh, hopefully make it so that you can easily access uh, episodes, but also uh, the different topics. If you're looking for a specific episode on a specific topic, this will probably this will hopefully be uh, an easy way to sort through the 200 episodes now that we have of the Double Loop Podcast uh, to find the uh, the one that you're really looking for. Yeah, and we've got Gibby too, who's working on an indexing of the different episodes and different content in the episodes. And once we're able to link that into the website, it'll it'll just make it that much easier to find things you're looking for in the old archives. That is our goal. So uh, uh, thank you, all you listeners who have stuck with us for 200 episodes. Uh, and um, after we bid goodbye here to Michael, we'll, we'll come back with a few more thank yous uh, to close out our episode. So again, Michael, yeah, thank you for joining us. And um, we'll hopefully... Uh, talk to you and or see you here real soon. Uh, thanks so much for having me, guys. It's been a, a great honor. Thank you. No, thank thank you, Michael. We appreciate you joining us for our 200th uh, little celebratory birthday here. Yeah, it's great. I think the last time I was on, I think it was the 100th episode. <laughs> really? Was at, it really the, the 100th sac- episode? Yeah, at the Sacramento II. Yeah, I, th- I think he's right, which means guess who we're having on for our 300th episode. Hell yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> it's, you're a good luck charm now. You're <laughs> a centenary guest. All right, and we're back. And, and again, big thanks to, to Michael for joining us again. And, uh, and, and big thanks to you, to you, Glenn, for waking up so early <laughs> to join Michael and I on our uh, even split of the globe, uh, you know, all, uh, all eight hours apart. Is that what you meant by the technically challenging part before you introduced it? I was trying to remember what was technically challenging about it, but it was just actually getting us all in the same time frame. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess the technology has really kind of been invented for us, but uh, you know, to record uh, around the world from from the, the Western U.S. to Central Europe all the way down to Australia um, all simultaneously – 
is is fairly amazing but uh but yeah it, it was more the the time zones working out and glenn unfortunately got the short end of the stick with waking up early yeah just one of those another one of those moments where i shake my head and i'm amazed that i mean think about doing this like this podcast idea um 30 years ago right mm-hmm. right we'd <laughs> we'd have to we'd have we would have to have lived in the same town and then you know we, we bring out my you know, my dad's old um uh, tape deck recorder, right? With the, the ones that pop up from the top. We got the handle in the front. Yep. Uh, dub out, uh, you know, a couple hundred uh, cassette tapes. Pass them out at the conferences. <laughs> <laughs> and and all the episodes would say is that fingerprints is an exact science, and that <laughs> that they're unique to every individual. When you make an identification, it's to exclusion of all others, and that's that, and there's no reason to challenge or question further. Uh, we, we'd probably talk even more about Star Wars than we already do. but uh. oh, That's probably true. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, that was great. Um, it, it's it's great to even hear about uh, you know him um, getting to travel around to you know other uh, other countries in the region, you know, taking some of that expertise that Australia... Well, and New Zealand as well, but uh, both of them have built up uh, with their you know, really developed training programs and, and spreading that around to uh, some of the neighboring countries. And it's always amazing to hear what they're able to do, and especially like the, the turnaround times and the speed, what they're able to do with technology right on the front lines of things. And actually one other Australian plug, I don't know if listeners are aware of this, but every three years there's an international conference called IAFS. It's the International Association of Forensic Science. It's like the American Academy, but on an even bigger scale. Okay. And every three years it goes around in different countries. Uh, last year it was in Canada and Toronto, and before that it was in, I think it was in Lyon, and some years ago it was in Lyon, France, and some years ago it was in the U.S. It, 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 goes, it goes all around the world. In 2020, it's going in September. It will be in Sydney, Australia. Oh. And I, I highly recommend if you have a chance to go. I, I mean, I know I'm saying this and laughing, like yeah, right. Some agency's going to allow their people to go, but you know, if it is, it is the kind of thing you can also write off if your agency would give you the time and you end up spending the time you've always wanted to go to Australia. You can actually write it off as you know, self-paid you know, educational stuff. But True. it it really is a great conference, and it's it's very high level. There will be you know lots of presentations that are typically only about twenty minutes long, presenting research from around the world and some of the most you know famous names in forensic science, and certainly in fingerprints will will be there. And you know there'll be workshops just like at the American Academy, uh, and there will be you know pattern evidence workshops. There'll be all all kinds of stuff going on, and it it you know it, it's just about a week long. It's big. I mean, it's really, really big, and I, I highly recommend it. I'm, um, I, I plan to be going, and I'll be actually looking at submissions. I'm chairing, or I don't know what they call it, but you're, you're part of the, the the review panel for the fingerprint submission. So looking forward to seeing what kinds of abstracts and submissions are going to be given. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and we can pass along more information as you know, different openings and deadlines and stuff uh, come up for, uh, for uh, you said, IAFS. IAFS. In fact, I think the 
the deadline uh, they haven't opened it yet, but I believe the it will be sometime in September when they open abstract paper submission. So if you've got something that you would like to present that you think would be worthy, and it, it's fairly competitive, and a lot of, lot of people will get denied uh, the ability to present, so it's a little competitive. But you know, if you've got something and you want to present, it's a it's a really big international platform to be able to do that. Right, right. Well, that's great. Anyway, so stuff I have coming up. I, I've actually been getting classes scheduled. So first off, you know, like I said before, at the Reno conference, I'd uh, be doing a, a workshop for the Gyro and Photoshop. If you're already going and are interested in hearing more about that, uh, you can look that up. But for the Exclusionology class, uh, September 30th through October 2nd, I'm going to be back down in Florida, but this time on the uh, West Coast in Clearwater. Uh, November 4th that week, I'll be up in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, next year, still a little tentative, but I'll still mention it so I can start to get some feedback if you're interested. Uh, January 13th in Houston. And then finally, February 3rd, beginning of February, uh, I'll be up in your neck of the woods. Yeah, maybe we'll go skiing. Uh, or go to the gas off, you know? <laughs> yeah, that too. And what do you have going on? Well, I have a couple of classes left for the end of this year, and we're, like you, um, interested in taking ideas or suggestions or hosts for next year, starting to book up already next year. But uh, in September, we, uh, we have this incorporating technology into the ASB process class in Chicago, Illinois. That'll actually be downtown Chicago. It's a great location uh, in the, the Loop area. And that's September 10th or the 12th. And I, this is this three-day class I teach with Carrie Hall that I've really been enjoying. I, I actually really like this class because we use different kinds of technology that's available, much of it for free that's out there, um, and, and incorporate it into ASB so we can make ASB more objective using these different tools. And just just for clarification, when we use the Idemia case APHIS, and I don't want students or prospective students to think, well, we're not Idemia, so this class wouldn't be for me. It's not an Idemia class. It's an ACE-V class. We just happen to use the Idemia tool, uh, you know, and, and laptop. But I, I want students to know that they can they can have any any vendor come to the class. They'll learn how to use these different kind of tools for their ACE-V. So that's September 10th through the 12th. Uh, September 16th through the 18th is this new testimony class that I'll be teaching with Brendan Max and well as well as Carrie Hall, and that is uh, practical answers to challenging questions in the courtroom. That's in Golden, Colorado, and this is this class where we have a defense attorney asking questions and how to, you know, attack the science and where the weaknesses are. And they, you know, you get this feedback from a defense attorney. I think in another episode, Eric, we may have to talk a little bit about those videos that have been thrown out there <laughs> I was at, just at some about point. to mention that. <laughs> yeah, well, another episode. And then lastly, October 14th through the 18th in the Bay Area, I'll be teaching advanced ACE-V applications. That's kind of my trademark class that I'm known for, ACE-V stuff, and that's uh, that'll be October 14th through the 18th. Uh, all of those classes, all three of them, you can register at ronsmithandassociates.com or reach out to me and I'll point you in the right direction. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, if you have any questions for us, Eric at RayForensics.com, Glenn at EliteForensicServices.com. You can go to either one of those websites or also now WPodcast.com uh, to find anything else, any, any any kind of question you may have. 
uh, or even our contact information are on those sites as well. Uh, follow us at WPod. Remember, the, the things that we say are our own opinions and not anyone that we may work for or represent. And um, let's see. I think with that, I'll talk to you guys next time. And thank you for listening for 200 episodes. Bye, everybody. Have a great week. Bye.